far across the universe. Dolan and the Gypsies have landed their spaceships on a strange and beautiful world, which seems totally unspoiled. Here they meet the logical Cube, who is black and about two feet by two feet by two feet. It tells them that they can have anything they want just by naming it. Dolan immediately orders a huge meal. Bimbratto, that young ruffian, asks for 76 great big fat hairy gorillas. The gypsies retreat to their spaceships in some disorder. Just as Bratto was climbing the ladder, one of the gorillas caught him by the ankle. Bratto yelled with fright as the huge beast dragged him to the ground. But his yell changed to one of hysterical laughter as it began playfully to tickle him under the armpits. Bratto replied by tickling the gorilla. In no time, the two were rolling around on the grass, Bratto hooting with laughter and the gorilla grunting with delight. Now there's a howdy-do, said old Jimbird from the top of the ladder as he watched the frolics on the grass. All the other gorillas sat around on the grass and either applauded the game by banging their huge hairy chests, grunting amiably, or picking nits from each other's fur. Gorillas only eat fruit, not people. They're quite sociable, when you get to know them said the logical cube. But I thought they only lived in Africa, in the jungle, said Dolan. The West African rainforests and East African highlands, to be precise, said the cube. But you asked for them, so they're here. Wasn't there one in America, in New York, broke in Ivan. Yes, and a fat lot of good it did him, said the logical cube. All he wanted was a cuddle from a blonde lady and they shot him to bits with aeroplanes. Funny lot, the Americans. Dolan sighed. Poor old King Kong, eh? Poor old Americans. It was their loss, said the logical cube. Talking of Americans, we wonder what old snark Buster is getting up to. Major General Fester B. Snarkbuster, USAF, open brackets, retired, close brackets, was getting up to some very strange things indeed. He was sitting in the tea room, just across the road from Nasty. That's the National Association for Research and Technological Investigation, where he was the boss. Have some more reward, my dear fellow Esther, said a tall individual in a large black hat and a long black coat. Er, thanks, but no thanks, bellowed Snarkbuster, as quietly as he was able. And why in tarnation don't you ever take off that dumb hat and coat? Because I wear nothing underneath, my dear fellow Esther. My country Gorblimir is very small, and cannot afford to pay its spies well enough to afford a complete set of clothes. It is exceedingly nippy in the winter terrain and downright embarrassing on windy days, I can tell you. Well, I can't waste all day listening to your problems. Let's get the business over with. You got the envelope? With the money? Yes, my dear fellow. And you have the one with the plans? Right here. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thank you. And here is yours. But what is this? It is so thin. Well, I can't help that. My chief designer, Jim Bird Flyflower, kept most of they plans in his head. He's stolen two of my rockets. He's taken off to I don't know where with a bunch of crazy folk. There's a gang of kids, an ex-army officer, my head of research, and they even got some incredible Irishmen with them. I keep trying to get a fix on them on the IMT scanner, but they're moving so fast and so far, it's darn near impossible. What is uh, IMT? Instant matter of transportation. It's a new way of getting from one place to another without wasting time. That's the only way to travel. And you said of your two rockets, you mean there are more? We just about finished the third. My people of your bonsormite will be most interested to hear of this. Most interested indeed. Your bonsor, the capital of my country, Gorblimir. It is most beautiful at this time of year. Your bonsormite, where is your bonsormite? On the end of your neck, chum. Good day. The gypsies were walking back to their spaceships from the lake, where they'd all enjoyed a cool and refreshing swim in the blue clear waters and caught some large fish for their supper, when they stopped in their tracks. The cube was gone, and in its place stood a beautiful young girl. She was tall, with long golden hair, and didn't seem to be of any particular age. She was timeless. Her hair and her long blue robe stirred gently in the soft evening breeze. She smiled at them in welcome. I trust you enjoyed your swim, she said. Yes, but who are you? You're not the cube. I am the cube, and I'm not the cube, said the girl. My name is Tilinga. I'm the guardian of this beautiful world. I keep it clear of unwelcome invaders, diseases, and the pollution of civilization. I make sure that it remains one of the few truly pastoral places in the universe, and there are not many left. Ever since the explosion of the primeval atom, which created stars and suns and planets and moons in infinite variety, man or creatures like him have been wasting and poisoning and polluting them into derelict shells. I too was created in that primeval explosion and appointed to preserve the purity of this particular planet. But come, you are guests here. Cook your fishes and take fruit with me. I think you'll find the taste surprising. And surprising they were. The fish had that magical aroma and flavour that you only get when they're fresh caught and cooked over a wood-smoked fire. Dolan thought with some bitterness of the hundreds of fish fingers consumed at home and vowed never to swallow such stuff again. If Dolan ever went back, that is. The fruits were truly amazing. Large silver apples that burst with luscious juice when you bit into them. Curious small orange-coloured bananas that tasted like oranges too. Huge blue watermelons with a spearminty flavour. And bowls of red black and green cherries, 
each with its own taste and smell. They all ate and ate until the great platters were empty. But they didn't feel bloated at all, just pleasantly full. Curiously, Tlinga didn't join them, but sat and looked on with an indulgent smile. It's always a pleasure to me to see the children of the universe enjoy truly good food for the first time in their lives, she said. Oh no, that was a fantastic repast, said Father Out. Big Ab. Thank you, said Tlinga. And with a snap of her fingers, she caused the wooden platters, fruit skins and fish bones to nuzzle down into the earth until they'd buried themselves completely beneath the surface. When Father Out saw this, he was reduced quite simply to... Gab! I reckon that'll be a bit of what we calls on Earth. Recycling, said Jimbird. All that vegetable matter gradually breaks up in the ground and becomes part of it again. A kind of endless cycle with practically no waste. You are most observant, sir, said Tlinga, smiling at Jimbird, who, to everyone's amazement, actually blushed among his beard. Arr was all he could say. Well, it's about time we was turning in, Crispin Lobmincing said. Indeed, yes, Tlinga. Thanks awfully for the spiffing fodder, agreed Flipper Pilkington. The gypsies all stood up and thanked Tlinga in turn for her hospitality. She smiled graciously and began walking with them through the gathering dusk towards their spacecraft when it happened. Suddenly, the darkening sky was filled with the screaming roar of violent, crude rocket engines, belching smoke and red, yellow and green flames. And six large, ugly black rockets thudded violently to the ground around the two silver spaceships. The doors burst open and dozens of huge men in spacesuits that looked like chainmail burst out, their black-bearded faces just visible inside their helmets as they began firing loud, banging space guns in all directions. Their leader, bigger than the rest, leapt to their fore, growling as he ran. This time, Klinsman, the planet will be ours for the taking. You six, get Tlinga. And his men sprang forward. By this time, Tlinga was moving swiftly. Snapping her fingers at each of the gypsies, she made a silvery gun appear in their hands. The Zarkos, she cried, aim for their helmets. They breathe carbon dioxide, and the oxygen here will kill them. The gypsies threw themselves to the ground without thinking, and did as they were told. The heavy-clad Zircos went down all over the place, their life-giving carbon dioxide hissing from their helmets. Dolan saw three of them lumbering for Jimbird's rocket and brought two of them down, but the third had time to hurl a huge, dark, spiky object through the open door. There was a deafening roar, and black smoke and red flames came belching from the ship. Most of the Zircos had been killed by the lighter-clad gypsies, none of whom seemed hurt. But there came a sight and sound that froze Dolan's thudding heart. Tlinga was being dragged, screaming, towards one of the invading rockets, 
by the huge leader of the Zerkos, who was waving his gun and using Talinga's body as a shield. Then, Dolan heard Jim Bird moaning. I'm it, my friends. Oh, I'm it. And at that moment, Jim Bird's beautiful spacecraft, which was now a mass of flames, crumpled in the middle, rocked for a few seconds, and then, with agonising slowness, heeled over and tumbled to the ground. (laughs) 